0: You're listening to CRST, the podcast,
1: from Bryn Mawr Communications.
0: Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of CRST, the podcast. I'm Christos Efentidis, an anterior segment surgeon who's been lucky enough to train in New York City, Philadelphia, and on four different continents, thanks to the Wills Eye Hospital Global Ophthalmology Fellowship. It really opened my eyes to how different surgeons address surgical planning, which is why this topic is so near and dear to my heart. Uh, I recently transitioned from academic practice at the University of Colorado in Denver Health to private practice, and I'm now at Tyson Eye in Cape Coral, Florida. I'll be your host for today's episode, and I'm super excited about our topic. We're going to be discussing preferred techniques for cracking the nucleus. It's the cover focus of the October issue of CRST, and I was honored to highlight four of the strategies I favor for efficient and fragmentation the issue. Uh, but I'm most excited about diving into today's discussion with two of my fellow contributors and all-around favorite people, Jeff Petty and Debra Ristvet. Jeff and Deb, welcome. Let's start with some introductions. Uh, Jeff, why don't you go ahead and uh, introduce yourself to the audience uh, and tell them a little bit about the man of the legend.
1: Yeah, I'll, I'll find out who to talk about as far as legend goes. Uh, Christos, uh, thank you. Thank you, CRS. This is an honor. Uh, I'm Jeff Petty. I'm from Salt Lake City, Utah. I've uh, been at the Moranai Center from the start of my residency um, through International Global Fellowship, uh, and now as a Program Director, and uh, you know, continuing to work uh, in the global realm. I, I love this topic. Uh, you know, teaching residents, you 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 never really get stuck in one particular technique. Uh, you know, between you know, vertical chop, horizontal chop. They they really are you know greedy and they want to learn it all, and that's fantastic. Um, and today we'll discuss a couple of you know, faco sparing at least uh, disassembly techniques. Uh, from from my article, and uh, again, honored to be here and excited to to learn more from you and Deb.
0: Awesome. Deb, why don't you introduce yourself, and uh, we'll uh, get started after that.
2: Hi, everyone. I'm Deb Risfit. I'm a third-generation ophthalmologist from Alexandria, Minnesota, part of Vance Thompson Vision, and I am so thankful to be here today with two of my favorite people who I've learned through the years from, and I continue to learn. And that's what's so fun about cataract surgery. Um, it never gets boring, right? As surgeons, we constantly learn and grow in our preferred techniques. And that's what's so exciting is being able to really bounce off each other's ideas um, to give the patients the best result. So I can't wait to get started.
0: Yeah, that's, that's a, a great point. There's not just one way, and that's what I think we're going to um, talk about today. But um, just as a little fun fact, uh, third generation uh, Deb's grandfather actually was one of the uh, pioneers and mentor of, uh, and real just hero of mine who who worked in Sierra Leone, who I uh, really uh, looked up to and still do. So, um, but um, anyway, let's let's jump right in. So, uh, you know, with this October issue, talking about. Fragmentation techniques of the nucleus, as Jeff pointed out, trying to spare phaco energy. So I think we can all agree that phacoemulsification has revolutionized cataract surgery. The issue is that dense cataracts and poor corneal endothelial function can make phacoemulsification not as effective, uh, can cause patients some issues after surgery. And and so cracking the nucleus in different ways really uh, comes to the forefront uh, for us. As patient advocates and surgical educators, it's our responsibility to be as exposed to as many techniques as possible so we can find out what feels most natural for us, and then we can share it with everybody that we teach, residents, fellows, and other colleagues. So uh, just to touch on my article, uh, I talked about four main categories uh, of techniques. Uh, one is with a All loop. We've uh, mostly heard of the My loop, uh, but there are other types of devices that are like that. They're a nitinol wire uh, that we can insert into the eye and uh, loop around the lens. And I think we'll be hearing more about that from from Jeff and and Deb. So I'll I'll hold off on talking about that too much. Uh, Pre-choppers, which is another really fantastic and underrated tool to have. Uh, I was exposed to them personally during my fellowship with Brad Feldman at Wills. Uh, He used those all the time. and I really think that they're really valuable, not just for these dense lenses, but even for uh, patients with uh, immature gummy lenses that you really have a hard time separating and cracking. Uh, A pre-chopper like the Akahoshi or some of the other ones are just fantastic because they spread that surface area of the instrument along the length of the cataract. And so even in soft lenses, they can really applinate nicely and get a nice crack in the lens. Uh, and I think we're going to have uh, some talk about that later on too. So I'll hold off going into detail. Uh, but the other ones, uh, the other two, the modified chopping techniques and femtosecond laser, I do want to touch on and get your thoughts on it too. Um, with femtosecond laser, you know, I've uh, not had a ton of experience, but the experience that I've had with it is that, um, you know, it's, it can make the capsulotomy, sure. But uh, with, with really advanced cataracts, part of the issue is the brunescent nature of the cataracts and getting a laser through a brunescent lens is pretty difficult. And for uh, me, I know the hardest part about cracking a lens is getting through that posterior plate right at the back of the cataract. That tends to be uh, where the laser can't get to and the most important part for us. So from a effectiveness standpoint, I haven't found it to be super effective there are some clinical trials that I, I mentioned in the article that looked at femtosecond versus simply just FACO. They did find that femtosecond laser did decrease the total CDE, but uh, unfortunately they didn't find that there was clinical uh, relevance there. So the patients didn't have any better outcome because of that femtosecond laser. So i um, going to wonder what your thoughts are, are that, but uh, I also want to talk, talk uh, about some modified chopping techniques. There's you know uh, a dime a dozen of them uh, for me i'm a, I'm a vertical chopper um, i do that you know for most of my cases and uh, i i modified a technique where you can drill some holes with the the phaco tip into the lens uh, in multiple places kind of like in a circular fashion uh, before doing any cracking uh, and then when you're ready to crack uh, the initial pilot holes that you create in the in the cataract uh, you can place your chopper into that uh, and get the chopper super far into the endonucleus uh, and crack it much easier. Um, we coined that rotary chop just because the image of that, you know, multiple holes drilled into the endonucleus kind of looks like a rotary phone dial. Um, but, you know, uh, it's it's been really helpful for me to get really far posterior to that posterior uh, plate and and crack through it. So, Um, I'm curious to uh, hear your thoughts on different CHOP techniques and femtosecond laser use. Um, What do you all think about, we'll we'll touch on femtosecond laser first. Uh, Do you use it for these dense cataracts? Do you sort of forego it uh, for similar reasons or or different reasons?
2: You know, Christos, I um, used femtosecond for about two years and You know, really, I think it's a wonderful technology and there's so many different uses for it. Um, You know, it's effective for maybe someone who has a posterior polar cataract um, because, you know, you're worried about that capsule behind that cataract. And so I found that it can be maybe effective for that. Or in cases like pseudo exfoliation, if they dilate well enough, you know, you don't want to manipulate that cataract. And so that can really decrease the energy. But all in all, I found that with new phacoemulsification emulsification technology and fluidics, our CDE has gone down dramatically just from st- stability of that. And so I have gone away from femtosecond and just do manual phaco.
1: Yeah, yeah, Pemto, I I love what you said, Deb. And you know, it's really interesting. It you know it came on with with so much you know potential promise, and and you know it still is really you know as far as technology goes. You know, sometimes you, you know, when patients bring it up, their eyes just light up. You know, like voracious, they can't wait to have a laser inside of their eye. You know. Um, and just over time you know we we've all learned okay well what is the real benefit uh, to this how much benefit is there um, versus cost to the patients you know to you know a patient in park city coming in versus a you know patient you know in another setting uh, that's a totally different value proposition and you know uh, when when they do hear it advertised as like you know the latest greatest uh, laser i want the laser coming in you know, we certainly offer it offer to our patients. But again, as far as, you know, benefit for nuclear disassembly, you know, there was some potential promise of it being used for, you know, dense nuclei. And it really seems over time that that, you know, potential avenue or indication, you know, has not so much fallen by the wayside, but it hasn't really come to fruition where, you know, you're seeing wide adoption of dense nuclei and, you know, being, you know, femtofragmentation being a primary pathway
0: yeah those are those are excellent points and i was you know jeff i was surprised too at the most recent um acos meeting in deer valley uh near park city we we were discussing this uh with dense cataracts and i was pretty impressed there were a good amount of folks in the audience who still use femtosecond laser for dense cataracts and i'm thinking i wonder if i'm just not using the pattern correctly or whatever but you know, as you mentioned, there's an added cost to it, and as Deb mentioned, there's just fantastic um, options for Faco, and the technology continues to improve um, from a um, you know effectiveness standpoint, and not needing to to really use too much CDE. So, um, I'm I'm in that same camp where uh, even if it was shown to be decently effective of segmenting the lens. FACO technology is just so powerful these days. Um, the the cost uh, you know ratio is is um, not not super high for me. So um, great. And then in terms of just uh, modified FACO chop techniques, um, I know some of you uh, chatted about or uh, described that in the um, articles. But are there some go to ones for you that that you want to touch on? So
2: I feel like my technique continues to evolve because I find what's, you know, in my population the best. And in Minnesota, we have Scandinavians, blonde hair, blue eyed pseudo exfoliation patients. And so I've found over time that in our area, patients may not dilate as well because of pseudo X, you're worried about zonular support. Um, A lot of patients are on Flomax, you know, with poor dilation, and we have good old farmers who come in with denser cataracts. And so I've kind of modified my um, divide and conquer technique. So I don't know. I was thinking about all these cool names because, Christos, you've come up with all these beautiful (laughs) coined cataract terms And so maybe like the groovy chop, you know, where I'm grooving in the center, dividing the nucleus, and then I'm chopping after that. So I really don't like to rotate the cataract. I like to make sure I get a good fluid wave under that cataract. um, So I know that it's going to be free. And then I make a nice groove in the center. I divide it with my Sinsky hook, and then I actually do a side swipe. So I actually take my FACO And I go to the side and then chop that into quadrants and those quadrants are removed. And then the hemi hemi nucleus is taken out and chopped from there. And so I've kind of taken all these techniques and I find that it works really well for those gummy cataracts. I feel like it works well for small pupils, pseudo exfoliation, um, for patients that maybe you can't see far out into the periphery to get that nice vertical chop. Um, Christos, I love your rotary technique. I think it is brilliant for dense cataracts. And I remember texting you being like, oh my goodness, this is so helpful um, because it really does help you get down to that posterior plate. And so that's been such a helpful technique, you know, for those dense, dense cataracts.
0: Yeah. Well, thanks for saying that. And actually for those who want to check out your technique uh, in the article that you wrote, there's a QR code where you can uh, watch your your technique on iTube. So I thought that was really slick to be able to go sideways as well. Um, well, let's let's transition actually, since, you know, Jeff, you talk a lot about some cool techniques and technology. So, you know, in your article, you really highlighted the uh, adoption of new techniques that can minimize fickle energy, what we call the cumulative dissipated energy or uh, CDE. And so um, can you talk a little bit about uh a couple of the things that you uh, use uh, on your day to day for tackling these dense cataracts.
1: Yeah, yeah, you know, I, I love what you said, Deb, and and actually, I, I think I think non-rotational phaco techniques. It's pretty fundamentally important, and everyone should have a go-to technique that for eighty-five percent of lenses in the case where you think, boy, could there be zonular weakness that you don't rotate. We do so much um, damage and traumatize zonules. Um, and and you know really rotation is 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 you know in in a lot of experts' estimation the the step that we're doing the most damage. Uh, all right, so uh, you know, Christos, I, I love the question. I think uh, you know, harkening back to some things that Tom Oding has said, you know, you, you really do want to have uh, a technique for soft, soft lenses, right? Those really annoyingly soft lenses that can somehow be more difficult to take out than your four plus. And then, you know, you're two plus, three plus, and then you're four plus. And, and, you know, there really isn't a perfect technique that spans all of them. Although the chop techniques, you know, you you can use those in a wide variety. You can certainly use divide and conquer techniques in a wide variety. But in those, you know, three, four plus, you're just burying, you know, the endothelium with with a lot of energy. So um, I'm going to start just talking about two things. uh, One in detail, a second one a little. ask you guys your um, opinions on. So... Uh, non faco disassembly. Yeah. So pre-chopping. So for those of you, you know, listening, driving, wherever you are, if you haven't seen a pre-chopper, what is it? Uh, imagine taking, you know, you've got this beautiful birthday cake sitting on on, on your de- desk, and it's a you know nine-inch birthday cake. You got to divide this thing in half. So you take two spatulas, one your right and one your left. You put the spatulas together, and you just push that right down in the middle from the top to the bottom, and then you just separate with these paddles, and you separate that cake right in the middle, and that is pre-chopping. And for your one to two plus, you know, run of the mill, you know, 20, 30, 20, 40 cataract, your average person coming in at the right time for cataract surgery, pre-chopping is the beautiful, elegant, single-handed technique. I love it with residents early on before they're comfortable with the left hand in the eye and the right hand in the eye. You can divide the nucleus, rotate the nucleus manually with either the pre-chopper or with a, a second instrument of choice, divide the nucleus again it's in hemi sections before you've used any phaco energy and one nice you know side effect of using this these paddles are these uh this cleaves really cleanly sometimes with divide and conquer with chop you can get these kind of interdigitating um you know pieces you know a little bit almost like um, a, a jigsaw puzzle on some level and these are just clean walls and it makes removal of these quadrants really nice and easy uh, again you can there's a qr code in, in the article you can see this uh, these instruments are not particularly expensive either but it's a nice you know really go-to technique particularly perhaps you're part of your career where you want to try a different technique or maybe you're you're not loving you know your two-handed techniques for your run-of-the-mill cataract uh this is this is a lovely technique uh, to go to a lovely technique to start teaching kind of let either of you comment on it and i know we we all have some thoughts on um the the other manual disassembly technique because sparing the, the my loop
0: yeah i I'll, I'll mention that i was blown away when i first saw uh brad using these during fellowship it was just so elegant to see it's i mean you you said it perfectly the the splitting of the cake um you know i i think they kind of look like kitchen shears or like large tailor shears uh where you could stick them into the the cataract with that sharp point and then it just breaks apart so cleanly, as you mentioned. Um, so for me, I think um, you know, now that I'm transitioning to uh, especially some softer cataracts here compared to what I was seeing at the county hospital, um, I think uh, I'll be adopting that, that instrument a lot more.
2: I think it is such a neat technique and I had um, the opportunity to use it in residency. And Jeff, you are exactly right before we were really comfortable using both hands, or, you know, say me, I'm a left-handed surgeon. (laughs) So all my attendings were right-handed. And so that became a little tricky with learning too. Um, But it also made me more ambidextrous. But using this Akahashi was so slick, because we really understood how to make that groove and how far to go into the nucleus when, um, using that second instrument. So I think you're exactly right with training. It's so helpful. And then like Christos mentioned with softer cataracts, it breaks up really, really nicely.
0: Yeah, that's great. Well, let's, uh, let's chat about the other technology that we actually all talk about, um, in our articles, which is the MyLoop. Uh, again, it's not the only, uh, device that's on the market, but uh, it's the most widely available, and so um, you know just to describe how it works, and then we'll we'll have you chat about uh, where you like to use it. But uh, it is a device where you slide into the eye, and you can extend a loop out from um, a small uh, tube. It's it's made of nitinol, uh, and it's heat treated to have a memory that's basically the shape of the cataract. You can expand it underneath the capsule, uh, and then uh, wrap it around the lens posteriorly, uh, and you can actually visualize it in clear enough cataracts, Uh, watch the nitinol loop going behind the cataract, and then uh, contract the the little plunger, and you basically uh, tighten the noose of nitinol around the cataract, and it cuts right through the cataract super nicely. Uh, dense cataracts, uh, soft cataracts. Uh, it's it's pretty impressive to watch. So um, when do you typically tend to use it? Do you use it on routine cases too? And um, do you have any tips or tricks for the audience to who might want to adopt it?
2: Christos, I started using it in preparation for global ophthalmology because I wanted to have another technique um, to be able to maybe not do M6, um, but Um, be able to remove some of these denser cataracts um, in a minimally invasive way. Um, And so one trick is to start using it in your routine patients because I found that being able to really follow that nitinol loop all the way around um, the posterior plate, actually over-rotate and then come back and cut the nucleus in half was really really helpful because when you start with a white cataract or a dense cataract with no red reflex um, and you've never done it before it's really hard to visualize what it's doing posteriorly and so that's one thing that i would recommend for people is um, to do at least 10 routine cases and to really get that technique down the second reason of doing that is because a lot of our denser cataracts are going to have weak zonules. And so you wanna understand how it stretches. And so you can either stop if you need to, if you see any zonular weakness or to really understand how that nitinol ring is expanding in the eye and be okay with continuing.
1: The Great, great points. I, I just, you know, I, I love what you're saying and paying attention to zonules is so important you know, uh, if I was designing an instrument that could help me, you know, push an entire lens into the vitreous, it might look something like the my loop. Now it, it doesn't, but you really need to have a low threshold for just backing off because you are putting in a paddle that is then rotating behind. And so you've, you've really got 180 degrees of, of, of pressure or force, uh, you know, downward. And if you've got loose zonules it, it can, you know, make a hard case, uh, You know a now combined case with retina so uh the the other thing i i really recommend so when you first get your my loop out uh, before you go into the eye extend it all the way and then put it on the cornea and mentally visualize where that centers uh the anterior segment uh, anatomy varies the white to white varies and if you rely on pushing it all the way to that hub or plunger uh, a majority of the time you're actually going to be pushing it too far distal and actually you know, potentially worsening zonulopathy. So just make that mental note as I open this, sitting on the cornea before I've gone in the eye. Where is the center? Where is that hub? That proximal hub they have? Where should that be relative to the limbus? And then remember that as you're 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 inserting it, and that'll save you uh, a lot of distals zonulopathy. And uh, and there have been bag breaks with this by people just pushing too far in, relying on that hub to stop them.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, it's. Uh, if if not done correctly, I mean, it could be an intra, intracap too. Um, but, uh, you know, like anything, we didn't find, you know, it's not like the FACO and the stone, right, where we pulled this FACO handle out of uh, a stone, just started using it, and it was glorious. It, it took, you know, we, we need to do 86 cases of those before somebody says you can do this even on your own. Um, and so I think we need to give a little bit more uh, leeway to devices, not just jumping into complex cataracts, as uh, Deb said, or um, just you know giving it the respect it needs to really uh, understand the anatomy, how the device works. Uh, you should not go into any of these new devices thinking I, I can do you know one and I'm ready to go. Uh, so there's definitely a learning curve, but I found it to be quite easy. Um, you know the the other thing I really like that Deb kind of touched on is. It actually is one of the few things that cuts from the outside in, if you think about it. It, it brings everything towards the center. Um, and uh, whereas we're really trying to crack by pushing against the bag, if you think about it, this, once it's in place, is bringing everything towards the center, which um, is is kind of novel in itself. So, um, But looking forward to seeing how it plays out more. It's now... Uh, device that uh, Zeiss owns, and so I think from a distribution uh, standpoint, it's going to be more widely available. And uh, curious to hear what surgeons out there listening uh, have to say about it. So please reach out and give us some feedback on it. Um, so let's let's jump over to Deb, your your article. I really liked how you highlighted the value of pre planning. You know, you can save yourself so much grief if you just. Pre-plan, understand the different algorithms that you're going to go down depending on what happens, uh, and just being ready to change course, uh, and you know what's best for a given situation. So tell us about your go-to technique um, for really dense cataracts. I know you talk about the manual small incision cataract surgery technique. Uh, you're talking to two huge fans here. Um, both both Jeff and I uh, love to do this surgery. Uh, and so can you talk a bit about your your surgical planning for that and uh, what you tend to do?
2: I love to make notes. Before I go into surgery, I have the IOL master chalked up with notes, whether they're on FlowMAX, whether they're a poor dilator, whether they have pseudo exfoliation, if they've had trauma, uh, the density of the lens, anything that you know I'm catching on examination that could change course. And so I actually have um, things right out for us because what happens when we have a complication? You need it now. <laughs> and so having things that are readily available, you know, capsular tension rings and Tripan Blue and more viscoelastic and a three piece IOL with a different cartridge, anything that you think you would need if, you know, things don't go the way that you planned. Or say you have to convert to M6, you know, where you think you can fake go and you're just having a really difficult time. And Chris Sos and Jeff, tonight you mentioned how you just really damage the endothelial cells. You know, when you get in there and you're doing divide and conquer and you're trying to really get through this cataract, um, you know, sometimes maybe it's good to just stop and either transition to my loop which you can do you know there's enough thickness there where where you can transition to my loop or you can convert to m6 and for those of you who haven't done global uh work or have been on a missions trip i would definitely encourage you to go these people don't have care they need our help Um, they're blind and a lot of times they're not working and providing for their families and so I'm really passionate about that. And, you know, I remember my grandpa talking about as a general surgeon, how he started doing cataract surgery. And it was basically um, people from the village coming to him saying, is there anything that you can do for my dad? They would lead him in. He couldn't see, he wasn't working, he wasn't providing. And so he literally ordered a how to book on (laughs) how to take out a cataract and started doing cataract surgery. And that really changed the course of his, you know, story. And so I always think back to that on, you know, here's a general ophthalmologist in the bush learning how to do cataract surgery. And it's just amazing, you know, the opportunities, you know, that we have globally to serve. Um, So with M6, manual small incision cataract surgery, a lot of us aren't very comfortable coming out of residency doing this technique. But I tell you, I do it in the United States. When you see a really dark, nasty looking cataract, um, phacoemulsification is gonna be tough. And so being able to have a technique where you make a nice scleral tunnel, where you're able to take out that cataract fully and to do it without having to suture the wound, the next day their cornea looks pristine And they're seeing and they're so excited jumping out of the chair because these cataracts are ones where they haven't seen for a long time, right? And so to have this technique in your back pocket to be able to convert to it, um, it really does decrease some of the complications that can occur down the road or at the time of surgery.
0: Yeah, that's, those are great points. And I I think we could all agree. Those are some of our favorite patients uh, when we see them the next day. And um, you know it's really a lot of times about lines gained um, and you can't get patients with with more of a vision recovery than those who are coming in hand motion or light perception. Um, as you said, the corneas could be crystal clear the next day, uh, no sutures necessary, uh, minimal astigmatism if you know how to do the wound uh, in, in such a way and um, they could be 2020 20 the next day. so, Um, it's, it's really, I think it takes education, uh, to highlight how good of a surgery it is, uh, because yes, we could all fake out anything if we try hard enough, but, uh, it might not be what's best for that, for that patient in that situation. So Jeff, what do you think? Any, any, uh, pearls, uh,
1: you know, here, uh, great points, you know, if if you haven't done, uh, any form of of manual delivery of the nucleus, uh, you know, either whether that's M6, ECI, uh, and that, that's, a, you know, at least, you know, 10 years of ophthalmology trainees that, that we've really gone away from having this, you know, manual form of delivery. Uh, best practices, th- this is not just like a simple modification of a, a nucleus chop, you know, that you're used to. This, this is a pretty significant excursion from what you've done if you've only done clear corneal Uh, cataract excisions. If you have scleral tunnel experience, you're in glaucoma, you're going to have a little easier time getting to it. But best, uh, best practices are the following. One, watch a lot of videos, read a lot of books, do some wet lab with some experienced people. But you can't really do this in the best manner for your patients. Without having someone really experienced sit with you and help teach you, uh, you can learn it on your own, and you will have more complications along the way if you're doing this on your own uh, versus you know getting someone who can anticipate what you're about to do, prevent the complications, show you how to address it before it ever happens. Um, you know, it's like I said several times. I, I could you know go back and start learning how to do you know, you know squint surgery, strabismus surgery. I'd get it, but I'd leave a whole lot of cross eyes in my in my wake that I wouldn't want to look back and see.
0: Yeah, those are those are great points. I mean, um, if you really think about it, there are only uh, maybe one step, which is um, hydrodissection, <laughs> that might be similar to phacoemulsification standard surgery that we know. Uh, and even then, usually we're trying to pop the lens out of the bag, which not most phaco most phaco surgeons tend to try and keep it in the bag. And so every other step is different and not all cataract surgery is just cataract surgery, right? It's not, um, similar in, in really any respect. And so, as you mentioned, really getting that experience, um, sitting with somebody doing the wet labs, um, just like with fake emulsification, this is, you know, just as difficult. And studies show that in the hands of trainees, um, there can be, more complications simply because, uh, these are not routine cases. They're, they're, uh, more mature cataracts. Zonulopathy can be, uh, frequent. And so, uh, really setting yourself up for success. Uh, and really going back to what Deb said, I cannot tell you how, um, how much you can decrease, uh, anxiety levels and feel really confident when you just map everything out. You draw out the case, you think about what could happen, you draw that out. uh, You just sort of have a game plan. Um, There's nothing you haven't uh, thought about. And that way you stay cool as a cucumber in the OR. um, And that's what allows you to have clear decision making. So, um, super important. Um, So, you know, I guess what I'm hearing here is that there's no one answer to these cases. no single best way to crack the nucleus. Uh, I'm happy that we covered so many different techniques here uh, based on the different types of settings you're in, the resources you have, uh, and most of all, hopefully the audience has heard a couple of new things that they're willing to try out. Um, if you need to learn more or want to learn more, um, you can check out the articles that we we uh, wrote. It's the cover uh, story of the CRST, um, October issue at crstoday.com. Um, Doctors Petty and, and uh, Risbet, do you have any last comments before we sign off?
2: I just want to thank CRST again um, for allowing us to do this um, nice podcast. And Christos, it's always an honor to talk to you and learn from you. And um, I will continue to be in awe. Of the techniques that you're coming up with and all that you do
1: and bra- bravo sierra state this is this is excellent um love podcast i wish you guys could see uh, the image you know deb deb is just vibrant there with great smiles sitting next to this beautiful art of you know a, a, looks like a montana lake in the mountains and then you've got christos who's bookended by the psychedelic squid and that beaker from the muppets um, it really is an honor. Uh, do yourselves a favor, like take a half day and go watch anyone else in the operating room. It is such time well spent. And if you aren't in a, you know, a larger center where you could do that uh, easily, you will always pick up things and learn things uh, from people as you watch them operate. And that, that you know, particularly if you're out in private practice, you know, solo practice, only a couple of you that is time well spent. Uh, and you know, we, we should continue to improve our surgery every year, uh, and never stagnate. If stagnate, if you're doing the same surgery you did, you know, when you left residency, then it's, it's time to get out, and learn from someone else and, uh, improve your techniques.
0: Yeah. Well, well, thanks to both of you. I mean, a lot of wisdom shared here. Um, I I've learned so much uh, in this short amount of time and Deb, the feeling is very mutual, uh, with both of you all. Um, I, I, I'm super honored to be on here with both of you. And thanks again to CRST uh, for joining uh, and for everybody else for joining us uh, tonight. And uh, hope to hear feedback from you trying out these new techniques. Take care. For more shows like the one you just listened to, check out the podcast channel on itube.net.